In this series, we're challenging you to live intentionally. The last phrase is the most important for Christ. And I firmly believe that when you are intentional for Christ or you, you live for Christ, the intentional part becomes far more natural because we know where we're focused. And what we want to do is to equip you with tools for your spiritual toolbox so that when you are given opportunity to share your faith, you don't shy away from it. You say, God, you put me in this position. I'm ready to share my faith. We will not give you the answer to every question because there's always another question that we don't know the answer to. But what we will do with the spiritual toolbox is to give you some resources and some, a mindset of how we're to approach our sharing the faith so that our prayer is, God, please give me opportunity as opposed to, God, please help that person not to ask me a question I don't know the answer to. We shy away from what we should be sharing. Throughout the Bible, we see the call to care for others. And every single one of us have people that we know and some people that are very close to us in our families that are yet to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're commonly referred to as unbelievers. And we have unbelievers all around us. Your neighbors may be unbelievers. Your, the people you work with are unbelievers. The people you go to school with are unbelievers. And you have a care for them. Well, how do we correctly pray for them? How do we pray for a person who does not believe? In the book of Romans, chapter number 10, verse 1, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they, they may be saved. That's exactly what we're to be praying for people, that people's lives will be changed by the gospel. But we also, we, we understand that we're called to pray all the time. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. All the time we're to be, be praying, not, not just Okay, I'm at church, now I can pray. Every aspect of our lives, we can bathe it in prayer. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We see throughout the Bible the invitation by God to spend time in prayer. And we see an open invitation of God to say, He wants to hear our burdens. He wants to hear our griefs. He wants to hear our pain. But how do we pray for the unbeliever when we have verses that says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's a lot of things that people are going through that we can't take away from them. We can help them practically, which I encourage you to do. And we have some different ministries within our church that we help to help. We pray to help people practically. But how do we go beyond the practical to help them in the spiritual? The Bible gives us a plan for how for focused prayer. Specifically focused prayer for the unbeliever. We have a temptation and it's a very natural temptation. When we come across an unbeliever and we see the negative things taking place in their life, we naturally pray, God, please help them to stop 
and we start listing off. Stop drinking, stop smoking, stop doing drugs, stop wasting their money, stop fighting, stop hurting, stop living immorally. And we have a list of all the things that please help them stop doing all these various things. And those are not bad prayers, but they're not what we're actually called to do in Scripture when we come across a person who is an unbeliever. The prayer we find is a very different prayer. It talks about the inside, not the outside. Now, I'm going to give you fair warning. In just a moment's time, you're all collectively going to go, oh, okay, with your most sympathetic, oh, okay, you ready? This last week, I've had a very sore back. That was poor. (laughs) You want to try that again? And I've had a sore back. Oh, thank you. So so spontaneous. To look in the mirror at my back, and as I look at the mirror, nothing appeared on the outside out of the ordinary. It looked like my normal back. A little hairy, but other than that, it's a normal back. And you look at it, you think, that doesn't look bad. But on the inside, there was pain, which got me at several massages from my wife, which worked out pretty good. We often focus on the outside and say, well, if the outside looks dirty, let's just clean up the outside, and we forget about the inside. The book of Acts, chapter number 26, verse 18 says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The prayer for the unbeliever, what we find according to the Bible, those prayers of God help them to stop doing drugs, help them to stop living immorally, help them to stop fighting us, help them to stop hurting each other. Those are not bad prayers, but it's not what we're actually called to pray. We're called to ask God to open their eyes. If you wear glasses, which I wear contact lenses, and when I first went to the optometrist as a 17-year-old, and I found out that I needed glasses. I went down to the optometrist, picked up my glasses, and I just recently got my P-plates, and I sat in the car, and I put them on. And you, I know you've done the same thing. Any of you have had glasses done exactly the same thing. You put them on, and you go, I can see. I can see the signs, literally, for the first time. And then you take them off, and you go, how did I ever get around so blind? And you go back and forth, on and off, on and off, and you recognize how blind you used to be. In a similar way, we recognize our world is filled with spiritually blind people that simply need to see God. There's a God that loves them, a God who, he, who, who protects them and who gives them power. And also we can see the, the God who gives us his very presence. What we're going to do this morning is build upon our principle. And every Sunday we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week it is, the unbeliever must open their eyes to see and experience God's love. We're going to use the account from an Old Testament account during a time period in 2 Kings chapter number 6, which is using an account from the prophet Elisha. And 850 B.C. is when Elisha lived. 
And it was during a time period when the nation of Israel was split into two different nations. You had the nation of Israel and Judah. And the nation of Israel is where Elisha um, worked primarily with. And also with that is that it had surrounding nations that were seeking to overtake them. And one particular enemy was the Syrians. And we're going to look at an account here of opening eyes. And then from that, we'll make some application for our lives, and particularly the way that we pray for others. So 2 Kings chapter number 6, we'll begin reading in verse number 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Now you put yourself in that position. The Syrians say, Aha! We have a plan. We're going to get Israel this time. We're going to put our army in this particular place and put an ambush up for them. And when they're least expecting it, we're going to get them this time. And just like Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, every single time Elisha told the king of Israel and they knew exactly what was going to happen. They knew exactly how they were going to over, overcome the Syrians. And as it continues on in verse number 11, that really frustrated the king of Syria. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, who's spying for the enemy? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom, which suggests to me that the Syrians had some spies in the Israel camp, but the Israelites did not have a spy in their Syrian camp. Now, it says that last line, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I have no doubt you probably experienced, if you have a smartphone, a random conversation about particular things or particular products and the next thing you know because Siri and Alexa are always listening you start getting random ads up on your phone for a particular thing you were just talking about and you think who was listening to us that's exactly what was taking place back in 850 BC they were thinking to themselves what's happening who's telling our secrets it goes on in verse 13 and he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dotham. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. The city of Dotham is not a very large city. And they surrounded that city all the way around. And through the night, it was in secret. No one knew what was taking place. And you imagine waking up that next morning. That's exactly what took place in verse number 15. The servant of Elisha gets up and he wakes up. He stands up on the wall and he looks out. And what does he see? 
but the army of the Syrians. And it says in verse 15, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. You humanize that for a moment. That is terrifying. We are surrounded. They got us this time. They finally outsmarted us. All the thoughts that are going through the servant's mind through that split second. And when you're in terror, it doesn't take very long to think about a lot of dif- different things. It goes on and it says, And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, this is Elisha talking, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, I think, and reading later on in this passage, God had given Elisha a real sense of humor. And I think Elisha here has a bit of smirk on his face because the natural thing is, he says, don't worry, there's more of us than there are of them. And you th- if this is a comedy routine, the, the servant will be standing there going, one, two. There's two versus the entire Syrian army surrounding them. And he says there, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And verse 17 continues on. Then Elisha prayed and said, and here's the key for this entire message. O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And this is where I think Elisha has a sense of humor. This Assyrian army has been struck with blindness. Now, the commentators suggest that they weren't physically blind, that they were just confused. And they were unable to comprehend what was taking place. And so they were just oblivious to the danger that they were in. And they walk along happily. And Elisha walks out there and greets them and says, What are you doing? And it goes on in verse 19. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me. And, they, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And they led them to Samaria. And Bible commentators suggest it's about a three-hour walk. Imagine that conversation along the way. And Elisha just probably, probably having some fun with them, asking them a bunch of questions, and they're obliviously answering the questions as they go. And in verse 20, And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. They were now inside of the city of Samaria. Now they are no longer the ones surrounding. They're the ones that have been been surrounded. They're the ones that are in danger. And the king of Israel begins to celebrate. And it says, as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? And here's where we see grace. And he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the last line I have underlined on the screen. 
and the Syrians did not come again on raids to the land of Israel. That story right there happened 2,870 years ago, a long, long time ago. And we can see some parallels with our life in our world today. We can see some necessity to open our eyes spiritually. We also see some parallels in this passage and the irony. In fact, uh, pastor and author Timothy Keller writes this. He says, They thought the resolution to their problems would, would come through capturing and destroying God's men. Instead, they found blessing when they were captured by God's men. Here we see the parallels and the overtones of Jesus, where the Jews were looking for a conquering Messiah to come in and a warrior to defeat the the surrounding nations and to liberate Israel. In reality, Jesus came as a servant. He came as a person who was washing feet, who was a servant to all, who sacrificially and substitutionally died on the cross for the sins of others, and they totally missed him because they were blind to him. Elisha took the enemies and they gave them a feast and sent them on their way. Whereas Jesus takes us and he transforms us on the inside out and sends us with him on our way. This morning we're talking about how do we pray for the unbeliever. And we're going to use some parallels with this passage from 2 Kings 6, but also Ephesians chapter number 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 3, and you can follow along there. There's message notes inside of your bulletin. You can follow along and fill the blanks in. And we're going to make some application for our lives today that I trust will be very practical, but also help to change the way that we view our prayer for others, specifically the prayer for the unbeliever. First of all, it begins with, that's our first point, focused prayer. 2 Kings 6 verse 15 says, When the servant and the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, the army with the horses and, and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? You see, this servant had seen the miracles performed and the, the signs performed by Elisha. He had followed along and heard the teaching. He had heard Elisha say, say Thus saith the Lord. He had physically witnessed these things, but when the crisis came in his life, he turned to unbelief and said, What shall we do? And he needed his eyes to be opened. We see fear is the result of unbelief, a lack of faith in God's love. One commentator said this about unbelief and religious people. Religious people show their unbelief in God's love and goodness by thinking they have to perform at a certain level before God will love and accept and bless them. The simple prayer of Elisha wasn't looking at this unbelieving servant and saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you just believe? Or saying, what's wrong with you? Haven't you experienced enough? What's wrong with you? Don't you know enough? He prayed a very simple prayer that we can replicate. God, open his eyes. As much as I'm grateful for my physical sight, I'm even more grateful for my spiritual sight. 
And so often we are tempted to pray, God, help them to clean up their act, help them get their finances in order, help them to stop drinking, stop doing drugs, stop abusing each other, stop being immoral. And in the reality, our focused prayer is, Lord, please open their eyes that they may see. It's a simple prayer but it changes everything. That focused prayer leads us into Ephesians chapter number 3. And we're going to read verses 14 through 16. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, and going on to verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be, and here's the key, strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. There's some things we see here. First of all, we see, I'm going to go through them real quick. We see the prayer to open their eyes that they will see God's protection, will see God's power, and then see God's presence. So let's go back to that first one to see God's protection. It says in verse 16, that he may grant you to be strengthened. We live in a world that is a spiritually dark world where people are going through the motions of life spiritually darkened. We can see in our world that where wrong is seen as right and right is seen as wrong. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not physical. We're talking about a spiritual battle but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I don't want this picture to be up on the screen for very long, but this week, this was celebrated. This man named Sam Smith won a Grammy Award for a song called Unholy, where he performed it soon after receiving the award and He's depicted as Satan and people are bowing down before Satan as he sings a song. And during the, the acceptance speech, they were standing ovation, celebrating his lifestyle and celebrating things. And that lines up perfectly with what we see in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, Woe to those who call evil good who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We need to recognize that when we're praying that they will see, they will see God's protection in their life. It goes on and we can see God's power. The key there is, it's not God's necessarily just God's power through us. So often we think, well, I'll just witness and I will show someone through my good work, which is absolutely true. We should be the very best neighbors. We should be the best employees. We should always be honest. We should always be showing our faith through our actions. But what we see here is the power of His Spirit. We want people to see the power of God. A changed life is changed by the gospel. And the gospel is not just doing good works and people seeing our good works. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, 
his burial and his resurrection and the new life we can enjoy through Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, chapter number one, we see the contrast between the old and the new. If you look at verse number 25, it says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. This is the old you. And worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's the old you. But do you know what goes on? Verse number 16 gives us the new. For I am not ashamed. And the word not ashamed is not just, I'm not embarrassed about God anymore. That's not what it's talking about. It's that I have a newfound confidence. I'm not being put to shame. Now I'm being raised up. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. And the key there is to everyone. You're included in the everyone who believes. We need to pray that people will see God's protection, that he will, they will see God's power, but also they will see God's presence. That verse 16 says, through his spirit in your inner being. God is always working. He's around us right now. And we can certainly see the creator God. And I enjoy going out to the bush and seeing the stars. And, and I enjoy learning about science and, and the, working out how far away various things are. And how in the grand scheme of the universe, let alone our own planet, how small we really are. And the fact that God says... I know who you are and I'm with you and I care for you and I love you. And we, we in the past have talked about the sands of the sea um, and his thoughts being more than the sands of all of the seas. And we look here in, in Hebrews chapter number 13, verses 5 and 6. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that gives us a newfound confidence so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It is impossible for you to change a person. There's no way in any lifetime that any of us can be good enough in order to earn our salvation. So therefore, we need to see God's protection and pray that people will see God's power and see God's presence. But it goes beyond just seeing it from a head knowledge. You see this servant? He was a person who had head knowledge. He had head knowledge that God was working. He had head knowledge that God would provide. He had head knowledge that God would perform miracles. But he needed to go beyond the seeing to now experiencing it for himself. And that's what we see with the second point, a changed perspective. It changed the perspective. So he went from a head knowledge to a spiritual seeing. As it says in, in verse number 17 of 2 Kings 6, in the middle of that verse, it says, and he saw. He went from a person that needed to be prayed for, that his eyes would be open. And God answered that prayer. And he saw. And he saw the surrounding angelic army. 
And then he began to have a new perspective, to see things differently. He now could, in a wonderful way, experience the things that he had head knowledge about previously. In Ephesians chapter number 3, we'll go back to that passage. Verses 17 through 19, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have, here's the key, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to, in the second one, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be, in the third is, filled with all the fullness of God. So the change in perspective is, we want to now experience this, and we want to experience God's protection. Valentine's Day is coming up. 1 John chapter number 4, verse 8 says, God is love. We want to experience God's love. So when we pray for a person, we pray that their eyes will be open to see God's protection. Now we want to pray that they will experience God's protection. In Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 18, it says, that may have strength to comprehend. Valentine's Day is coming up in a couple of days, and my wife and I went out last night, so I'm already ahead of the game. It makes it much easier, much more relaxing on Valentine's Day. And I don't tell her, but I've already bought her a card, and I bought her some chocolate because I know that that's what makes her happy. And you, you get things together, and you think, I have everything in order, ready to go. And here it says, they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. That's talking about God's love. And in human form, and if you're sitting next to your spouse, it's very appropriate to nudge them and go, hmm. Like, as if, I love you. But you know what? Our love is finite. Our love is comparatively empty compared to the love of God. And, and the Apostle Paul here writes, and he says, and he asks questions, how wide is God's love? How wide does his love go? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. There's plenty of room for more because he loves the whole world. I want you to consider this. God never made a person that he did not have a plan and a purpose for. And if we believe, which I firmly believe, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that suggests to us that there's never been a person created, even the people you don't like very much, who God says, my love is wide enough to include you too. So when we pray that God will work in a person's life, we pray that a person will experience the width of God's love. We also see how long is God's love. There's a song that I will not sing to you. I would walk 500 miles. At the end of it says, if I could just see you. Because tonight, God went much further than the 500 miles that we may walk. He came from, sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to live a perfect life die a cruel death on the cross, miraculously rise from the dead, triumphing over our sin and over our, our death. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. How long is God's love? It doesn't end shortly. 
He doesn't have a return policy on it and say, well, it's only good for 30 days. You know how frustrating it is when you have a receipt and you look at the bottom of the receipt and it says valid for 30 days or 60 days. And invariably, I determine that I don't want that thing anymore on the 31st day. And years ago, I used to work for Bunnings and people would bring back things that were not sold at Bunnings. And they would insist on getting a refund. And they would have, uh, that was before the days of Karen. But they would have these interesting and incredible arguments at the front of the store with the people at the front demanding their refund because they didn't want that product anymore. God's never said, okay, I'm done. My, love's, my love is extended. I've gone far enough for you. Psalm 100, verse 5, for the the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. God never changes His mind about you. We also see how high is God's love. God's love rises above the criticism of others and also the self-criticism that we give ourselves. Someone wrote this this week, and I, I wrote it down, which so I'm going to just quote it to you and read it to you. If someone were a, as critical of me as I am of me, I wouldn't spend one hour with that person. But I'm stuck with that person 24 hours a day. God's love rises above the worst thing that you've ever done, the worst thing that you've ever said, the worst thought you've ever had. God's love rises above that. We see in Psalm 103, it says, He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God's love rises above the criticism of others and of ourselves. We also see how deep is God's love. Our, our worship team leads us in a song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure. We see that in Romans chapter number 5 verse 8 which this is a great verse, and I would encourage you to memorize this verse because it helps us to change the way we view ourselves and also view others. Where we look at the depth of God's love and we try to rationalize the depths of God's love through our, our, our own love. Valentine's Day is coming up. I bought my wife chocolates, which I did the right thing. There's a finite amount of little squares on that block. And my wife knows, as do I. That's why I have a secret drawer that I slide things away that kids don't know about. That's where my chocolate drawer is. I know and my wife knows if we share the chocolate, there is less chocolate for us to enjoy. And you all know that. And when you get the blocks of chocolates, you know in the, in, the, in the variety of pack, there are chocolates that you save for yourself. And then there's other ones that no one likes that you give to the kids. God's love never is shortened or, or made smaller by the, how we share it. It's deep. It keeps on giving. 
And that verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God shows his love for us, the depth of his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It does not say there, he loves us after we've cleaned ourselves out. And so often we have the temptation to pray, God, will you please help that person to stop drinking or smoking and and doing drugs and and living immorally? And that's a good prayer, but that's not what we find there. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our dirtiness. We simply need to pray that God will change their perspective so they will now see and experience God's protection. We also see that we see and experience God's power. Ephesians 3, 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Romans 1, 16, in the last line, says, To everyone who believes. It's a powerful gospel that we, ask, we pray that God will help people to experience for themselves. We see a change of perspective. They experience God's protection, experience God's power. And the third is experience God's presence for themselves. That you may be filled with the fullness of God, the verse says. That's when people pray that they will accept this salvation for themselves. That they will become believers themselves not through our strength not through our good works it's totally through god that gives us a newfound confidence as we go out a newfound confidence that we are now living for something bigger and greater than ourselves as you go out this week you will be confronted with people who are unbelievers And you may be tempted to go back and to pray for that person that they will just fix up their life. And those are not bad things. And God gives you opportunity to help a person in a practical way. Take those opportunities. But here's the key. Don't miss out on praying for what they really need, that their eyes will be opened, that they will see and experience God's protection, His power, His presence so that we can live out ephesians chapter number three verses 20 and 21 where it says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us here's the key to him be the glory in the church and in the and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Now we live for something bigger and greater than ourselves.